And good Monday to you out there at WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve, host of your show, Fired Up. It's another Monday, and we are going to jump into what's been going on in the political world behind the curtains. Uh, starting off, as we usually do, we give you some updates on how coronavirus, COVID-19, is impacting our country. We are just a hair under, and in fact, by the time this show airs, we will likely be just over 120,000 people who have died from the COVID-19 disease in this country, with more than uh, 2 million people uh, who have been infected. So the coronavirus uh, continues to rear its head here in the country, and as we're going to talk about a little bit uh, in a moment, is actually looking like it is making something of a resurgence uh, as the states have opened and you know more and more people are out and about and gathering and congregating uh, what we're seeing is that a lot of are gathering in crowds and not protecting themselves with you know face masks and, and other measures and social distancing and we are starting to see in some areas of the country uh, resurgence and spikes in coronavirus infections uh, occurring as a result of the change in what's been going on out there. So, you know, it bears mentioning, you know, as the states open up, as we get back into, you know, our shopping areas and our social areas, uh, we still need to practice, you know, the safe procedures that the CDC, uh, medical and scientific communities have been telling us to do now for, you know, four or five months. And that is wearing our masks, frequent hand washing, and practicing distancing when we're in groups and trying to avoid groups, uh, you know, large areas where a lot of people are congregating together. Now, having said that, uh, we look at what's transpired over the last week in the political news realm and, you know, social distancing and large groups. We'd have to talk about the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma that occurred uh, this past Saturday. President Trump uh, relaunched his campaign in 2020 election with a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, originally slated to have occurred on Friday, which is Juneteenth. Um, he moved it to Saturday, and you know, a, a massive you know, uh, notification and marketing launch and you know they were talking about having hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Tulsa with 20,000 people or 19,000 plus in the uh, BOK Center in Tulsa and you know anywhere numbers were from 20,000 to 60,000 people in the overflow area outside the arena well didn't quite come up to those numbers um, you know, I don't know if you watched it on any of the media outlets or if you've seen the excerpts that have, have popped up on YouTube and other sources. The arena is supposed to hold about 19,000 people. Well, according to the Tulsa Fire Department and other officials, only about 6,200 people showed up. So there was a huge uh, venue with, you know, maybe about a quarter to a third of its capacity uh, present for the rally. And, you know, what was interesting as I, as I watched and scanned across, you know, the, the major news medias is how that, that scenario was being portrayed. CNN and MSNBC were using, you know, from, from an optic standpoint, they were using a wide shot that showed a large cluster of the crowd right in front of the, the, 
the podium and a few you know people in the upper level right above the podium but the rest of the stadium was empty so you switch to Fox News and they had a much tighter shot which showed the podium and a crowd scene in the frame which gave you the impression that you know there was a large crowd present um, you know but again only about 6,200 people showed up. Uh, it was rumored and news articles and, and stories were floating around uh, the media and the internet that uh, young people, you know, millennials and, and other groups had basically trolled the event and, you know, signed up and said that they were requesting tickets and there were something like 750 thousand to a million people that had requested tickets and the Trump campaign picked up on this and thought that they were going to have a major crowd event well as I said didn't quite turn out that way sorry guys but on the other side of that even the fact that it was a smaller crowd you still had 6,200 people gathered together and as you looked at the the pictures and the coverage in the media you'll see that you know very few were wearing masks, there were no social distancing happening, people were clustered together for the optic image and basically putting uh, 6,000 people at risk of contracting coronavirus. So we will see in the coming weeks how many new cases spring out of the Tulsa event uh, as they identify the people that have the disease and then do the contact tracing. Um, but it just goes to the point that you know we have to take protecting ourselves and protecting our communities seriously uh, you know it it could have been with the fact that they had 6,000 people they could have done more in terms of spacing people out uh, yes they were handing out masks uh, and hand sanitizer at the entrance to the event however they were not requiring these protections they were only suggesting or recommending them and you know there is a significant number of people out in the country who really just you know are are exercising their free will choice to not protect themselves and others from this disease and you could have a bigger discussion on you know the level of selfishness that may incur or you know yes we have the right to refuse to wear these protections however does the does the need for or the bigger need for the social good outweigh you know your individual choices should you do it anyway you know there, there's a whole discussion going on you know about the push and pull of that uh, in the media and other sources so you know in, in my opinion you know as, as a father and a grandfather and you know someone with you know ties to the community and, and activity I'm putting, you know, what I may feel, you know, if, if I am one of those ones who, you know, doesn't believe in wearing a mask, I have to say that I do believe in protecting, you know, my family, uh, my loved ones and others. And that's going to outweigh that, that desire to, you know, to flex my independence muscles and, and be out there. So, you know, as we've seen in some of the other states around the country, where they have opened up venues such as beaches and parks and, and bowling alleys and clubs and so forth. Uh, what we are now seeing in, in the, the weeks since 
is we're seeing spikes in coronavirus outbreaks. You know, Florida had a its its largest weekend spike uh, just this past week, and you know that's tied directly to the number of people who were out and about in you know in the areas, uh, not practicing the distancing, not wearing masks. You know, and you can you know if you're in denial that this disease you know can be transmitted and even some people who are in denial that this disease actually exists um, I can think of 120,000 families in the United States who would uh, probably disagree with you as they have lost loved ones to this illness uh, it's not fake it is a real deal you know epidemic and you know we need to make sure that we are protecting ourselves that we are doing what is necessary which may not be what we want to do, but what we need to do uh, to protect ourselves and others. You know, it, it's just common sense. So in other news uh, this week, uh, President Trump had a rather bad uh, week in terms of the Supreme Court. Uh, a couple of key decisions went against him. Uh, well, yeah, against him, sort of. So. You know, there was the Supreme Court ruled on a, a final determination that LGBTQ uh, individuals are, in fact, entitled to protections under discrimination laws in this country. So that was a victory for those groups uh, and a setback for, you know, the, the president and the administration who had promised the American people in 2016 that they were going to uh, rescind those laws and you know, remove those protections from LGBTQ individuals in this country. The second one that really kind of uh, popped up and caught everybody's attention was that the Supreme Court threw out the uh, government's uh, attack on DACA, the Deferred Action uh, Plan, aka Dreamer Act, and basically you know, eliminated that. However, that was a mixed victory, even though they did, you know, uphold the ban or the block on it. Basically, they said that it was a technicality error and that the uh, bill could be refiled, the law could be retried uh, as a, a second attempt uh, down the road. So it's a temporary victory. Uh, depending on how the administration advances to see whether it will become a permanent victory. Uh, and it related to that, uh, one of the things I discovered as I was doing my research is the administration has been very quietly utilizing one element of the, the appeal process uh, in the judicial system in this country where they can put in what is called an emergency request to the Supreme Court for them to take up actions uh, that normally would flow up through the court system from the local court to a, uh, to a federal bench and so forth. And the Trump administration has been using that technique to get many, many more uh, actions executed by the Supreme Court than prior presidents. Uh, you know, the Trump administration so far, uh, according to the numbers, has filed uh, 27 of these, you know, requests for, for immediate judgment. 
uh, compared to the Obama administration, which filed uh, 11 of them, and the Bush administration prior to that, which filed, uh, I believe it was 16 of those. So, you know, we're going to talk in a little bit about strategy and tactic, and this is one I want you to keep in mind because this is one of the tactics that the Republicans are using to, you know, make the changes that, that they want to make kind of under the radar. So we need to be aware of that and keep tabs on that. So while we frequently hear about these major case decisions and, and uh, legal challenges that are working their way up through the judicial system to the Supreme Court, keep in mind that there is a back-channel effort underway where the administration is getting you know, policies and laws that it wants to see either supported or uh, dismantled into the Supreme Court system and being addressed by the judges uh, using this emergency uh, adjudication process. So, you know, something else to be aware of, you know, and why you, you need to make sure that you stay informed and educated about what's going on in the government. Um, on, on other things, you know, there were some other uh, news that came out, and one thing that I had wanted to mention last week but did not have enough time to do it, uh, a, a new website has appeared, and it's called kidnation.com, and this is a, a uh, website that's built on the foundation of enrichment through entertainment for the next generation. Um, they are using music and videos and other elements to educate young people, particularly young children, about you know, the issues and what's going on in the world and to help them get a better sense of, of what's happening and in a manner that, you know, makes sense to them. Now, this website and this, this program, uh, its founder is someone you probably know. Uh, his name is Chris Bridges, uh, but you probably know him better as Ludacris, the, the rapper and actor. And, you know, he is, has brought this forward as his way of getting a message out to young children on you know the things that are going on in this world and just helping them to understand you know what's going on in a way that that resonates with them so we look forward to this site growing we'll keep an eye on it it is uh, work in progress right now and we'll see how this develops but I will keep you posted as time goes on about what's going on in Kid Nation so I will actually add it to my, my list of news sources so that I can get a, real, a young people's perspective on what's going on in the world. So that, that's an exciting bit of, of information, and I'm happy to see that show up. I uh, want to talk a little bit and, and, and finish out the first segment. A few months ago, I did a show, and we talked about uh, strategic and tactical activism. So uh, given all that's going on and the fact that now here we are five months away from election day uh, we have what essentially is a decided race or a decided campaign rather for uh, the presidency between the incumbent Donald Trump and the presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden and what is starting to shape up now and you know the, the Tulsa rally is one example uh, and 
appearances and speeches and interviews given by former VP Joe Biden uh, is another that we are starting to see the strategy and tactics of this campaign shaping up. Now, just to refresh in, in case you know you can uh, to refresh your memory, strategy is generally the plan, the overarching plan of you know what you want to accomplish, whether it's your personal business, uh, community or national. Tactics is what happens after the plan is enacted. It is the actual steps of you know engaging and enabling the planned action to take place. So when you look at politics, there will be an overarching strategy, and I'll give you some examples in a second, and then there will be the actual tactics on the ground that are used to implement that strategy. So when, when we talk about strategic politics or strategic thinking, you can look at things like you know, the, the Southern strategy, which is, you know, as I've said many times, you know, it's a 55-year-old plan on voter suppression and you know, uh, disenfranchisement of you know, voters. And then you can look at things that have happened as a result of that, including you know, going back, you know, uh, poll taxes and poll closings, you know, other ways where uh, the party in power has looked to make voting difficult or as close to impossible as possible. Uh, and, you know, you can see where there is a cohesive plan at play, and yet, you know, there are actions going on on the ground in support of that plan which damage or hurt individuals or groups in, in this country. Uh, another example would be the protest movement that we're currently seeing. And it is a continuation of a, a decision by you know, groups in this country who are opposed to the policies of the current administration, whether it's the Me Too movement or the Kids Against Gun movement or now the Black Lives Matter movement. And you know, these groups have developed their own approaches and, and you know, plans and, and goals as to what they want to achieve. And we're starting to see actual uh, actions being taken. Obviously, we're seeing the protest actions, but we're also seeing engagement you know, with local law enforcement, with uh, local government, uh, even at the national level with you know, national uh, leaders to get real change uh, happening in this country. So, so there's a strategic angle in making the plans on what you would like to see happen, and then there's a tactical angle in actually implementing that. So in the political sense, the, obviously the strategic uh, plans are you know, to get, uh, if you're a Republican, is to keep the current administration in place and perhaps gain some seats in the House and in the Senate to secure your leadership as well as returning the incumbent president back for a second term. And if you're on the other side in the democratic world, obviously you're looking to unseat the incumbent president to gain as many seats in the Senate and in the House to, to take over control in terms of the Senate and secure that control in terms of the House. And then as you look down ballot, you see the same issues playing out as you go down through the ranks through state and local governments. 
obviously our role as voters is to make sure that number one we are aware of the strategies that are being uh, discussed and the plans that are being made and number two that we take our own tactical approaches that we are making sure that we are doing the things we need to do to make sure our message and our voices are heard you know whether it's following up on you know protests against police violence by by engaging in discussions at the local level with your mayors and city councils and and your police departments all the way up to the federal level in addressing voter suppression tactics that are being implemented and things that we need to do to make sure that you know as as much as possible we are returning this country to a country of the people and a not of a country of the political parties you know at the end of the day you know it's our votes that get the work done um, yes you know when you talk about presidential elections the president is elected based on the electoral college we've we've talked about that in the past and you know that's still an issue that we need to address in how a country with you know 51 states and and areas can boil down to you know, seven or eight states that decide an election. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. We have a very short time to do it. Uh, if you have not become engaged in the political process uh, or the information process even in your local area, uh, the time is now. You need to get engaged, get educated, find out what's going on, you know, find the issues that resonate with you, find the, the candidates that resonate with you, and do what you can to support them to get them elected. You know, we have a huge primary coming up in New York on the 23rd, um, and there are a, a few black candidates uh, on the Democratic side who are taking on uh, getting elected in those districts uh, for the House of Representatives even to the point not just of, of opposing Republican candidates, but also taking on candidates within their own party uh, who have not lived up to the expectations of the constituents for one whatever reason may be. And that's something to also keep in mind. You know, just because your current elected official may be a Democrat and you know you are a Democratic voter doesn't mean that they get a pass automatically because they've got a D after their name. If they are not doing what you sent them to that office to do, then just like you know, a Republican, you, know, you need to show them the door as well. We need to make sure that we are putting people in our elected offices from the local level all the way up to the federal level that truly reflect what our goals and our wishes and our desires are. And if they're not doing that, as I said before, you know, then sorry, but you got to go. So, you know, let's make sure that we are engaged. Uh, I say this all the time. You know, every show we talk about voter registration. That is still a thing that, you know, your primary in the state may have already passed, but your national election is coming up. And if you had any difficulty in voting in the primary, you need to make sure that you've corrected that before the national race uh, happens in November. So we'll, we'll look at that, and we're going to continue to talk about that. I'm going to be a broken record on it, folks, and I apologize ahead of time. So you know, with that being said, let, let's take a break here and then come back on the other side, and I want to talk about Black Lives Matter and political strategy. So let's 
take our break. You're listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMSRadio.com. My name is Steve. We'll be right back. Electoral votes, more than 270, more than enough to become the 44th president of the United States. He will be the first African-American president uh, of the United States. I've been broke all my life, but I kept hope all them nights. You see business in my city? Yeah, they closed all them twice. I was just riding down Salem, all them damn potholes I can't drive. I know y'all can fix it faster, but I know y'all won't try. Don't nobody care about us. And that's why I don't vote. Voted for Obama back in 2012. I remember that's when I had hope. He was saying, yes, we can. And everybody got less food stamps. And when I turned 21, I was still broke. I'd never vote again. I don't think I ever had a president make my life better. Did it all on my own. Ain't no politician ever do a nice gesture. I don't even know the man's name. I ain't never seen him one time ever. Tell me how she gonna help the city. What I'm supposed to do, write letters? What I'm supposed to do, blame Trump? He ain't never really gave up. Ain't nobody raised minimum wage. None of these jobs pay enough. I think they just want to keep us broke. Because they ain't putting nothing in place for us. This how all my people feel. But we got to learn. We complained enough. Let me change it up. Everything I just said, everybody I know think the same way. See, they don't want to see us vote. And we never do. So we see the same thing. But all our votes really do count. And they'll never really let it show. So now I'm finna break it down. Because if I don't, you would probably never know. First thing first. You know, back in middle school when they taught us, it was three branches of the government we forgot it when we got older it's the judicial the legislative and executive but all we know is the executive that's the mayor or the governor and the president now none of them three people make no laws they just be checking them the laws come to their desk and all they do is say no or yes to it so when the news station tried to tell us that barack obama couldn't put us on we was all salty at obama when it was the congress members all along we gotta focus on the legislative branch yeah they the ones that make the laws yeah they the ones right how much food stamp money you get on the car but when people People that wanted to help us, wanted the job, I know they probably lost. Cause we ain't even know their name, we ain't know their face, we ain't know it all. So the Congress or the State House, that's legislative, they make laws. So what we want from the president is what they do, okay, y'all? See, they election every two years, but we don't never even go to those. The Congress, they can raise minimum wage, but we ain't even really know it, though. So you know how back in 08, when we all voted for Obama, we was all supposed to go back in 2010 and vote for the Congress. Cause they the ones make child support laws. They the ones choose if your kids at school get to eat steak or corn dogs. The State House make the court calls. So if the country failed, then you can't say it's them. It's your fault, cause y'all ain't know to vote for Congress members that was for y'all. And they don't gotta leave after four years, and we just let them sit. See, they don't wanna tell you this, they want you to focus on the president. Now, the third branch is the judicial, that's judges. They the reason why John Crawford and Trayvon ain't had justice. So when Meek Mill got locked up just for popping willies, we blame the judge and not the city when they let her get voted in, cause they ain't know who to vote against. Imagine life on the other side. Roads better, schools better, everybody get their license back, grocery store food better, custody of your kids back, homeless people get new shelters, if we gon' fix the U.S., we gotta start with them two letters, me and you, somebody told us that the government wanna keep us broke, but the only reason why those people in the government is cause we ain't vote, and I ain't talking about the president, I'm talking about the ones we ain't know, see they was gonna try to keep it low, but it's gonna hurt them when they see the pros. Every time you stay home, someone is making a decision about you, making decisions about the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food your kids eat, and how much money you bring home every two weeks. So every time you sit out an election, every time you don't show up because you think it doesn't matter, someone else is happy that you didn't show up so they can make that decision for you. Vote. 
And welcome back. Welcome back to the second segment here on Fire It Up. This is Steve. I'm your host each week as we talk about the political machine here in the United States of America. And you're listening on WJMSRadio.com. Much, much love and shout out to them for hosting us each week. So getting back to our discussion on strategic versus tactical activism and politics, um, we have seen in particularly in the last uh, four years since the election of Donald Trump, a rise in the amount of uh, activism and, and protest and, and engagement at the national level uh, by groups looking to get their message out there and to get action occurring uh, on that message. Um, you know, of, of recent time, you know, we've seen a, a surge in the activism levels and the messaging and the protests going out uh, under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Uh, it includes many other groups, but you know, BLM is, is by far right now kind of the lead uh, agency you know, leading the protests that are going on. Um, in response to the you know, deaths of you know, black men in particular, people of color in general and people, uh, at the hands of police uh, in in violent situations, and you know what this has shown is that there is a substantial movement uh, gaining energy out there uh, that you know in in some circles and people are having discussions about that becoming a catalyst for ultimately what would be a third political party in this country, uh, something that I have actually advocate for I think you know a, a third party uh, that is you know engaged and effective uh, and you know shows and represents the the values of the people at the center of this country as opposed to extreme right extreme left uh, is something that uh, we need to uh, look at building and putting in place now this is not something as I've said before a, a viable uh, workable activist and engaged third party is something that is going to take us a long time to put in place however we seem to have the energy the initiative and the momentum to putting together a, a viable third party uh, in in our political system is something that is not a, a short-term thing uh, it would take a long time you know on the order of decades to get a third party that would be strong enough and effective enough to actually influence the political process and influence the direction of the country. But that's not to say that we don't need to make that happen now, just because it's going to take a long time. Now, you know, what's involved with that? Well, the first thing is we would need to, in my opinion, we need to gather together all of these uh, people who uh, are expressing their, their feelings of disenfranchisement from both the Democratic and Republican parties. Uh, we need to come together and find our common goals and objectives. And then we need to move forward through the election process uh, and, and gain the number of uh, votes we need in each state, typically about 15%, I believe, in order to begin to put candidates on the ballot that reflect the the views of this party so you know what does that mean well for those of us who who vote democratic 
you know, we're going to need to make an investment. We're going to need to invest in this new party. We're going to need to uh, continue to support it to bring candidates forth, not only under the new party, but as it gains strength. And as we've seen with, with the results and the influence that the Black Lives Matter uh, protests over the last year have incurred at the national level and at the local level with elected officials, this is something that is doable. You know, the more energy and the more information and the more number of people that you put in front of a problem, the more that political leaders are going to pay attention because they recognize that people are votes and votes are what get them into office. So, you know, that would need to continue. Uh, of, of a course, we would need to continue to, to support in some way uh, those elements of the Democratic and Republican Party that believe as we believe and think as we think. Uh, but overall, we would need to begin a process of directing our voices to a party that reflects what the broad, centrist, uh, you know, progressive area of this country that is becoming more and more uh, silent uh, just by, you know, being ignored uh, by the, the two major parties who are more and more focused on the extremes of their agenda and you know we need to bring forward uh, this third party and begin to grow it so that you know it what would start out as basically a block of votes in you know the the halls of elected office uh, and slowly become a, a, a party of itself uh, that we can make change happen that way now that's a simplistic uh, approach that's a simplistic analysis of it uh, the actuality of it is much more complicated and as I said it is a long-term uh, objective uh, but something that is worth you know evaluating and investigating and here's the real side you know as this movement as becomes a, a party uh, and begins to flex its political muscle you know, this coalition of groups, you know, of which Black Lives Matter would be a part and Me Too movement would be a part and, and other of these elements that have been working so hard, you know, over the past, you know, 10 years and, or longer to focus attention on these critical issues that face our country, the more uh, strength these groups gain, the more the major two parties are going to have to pay attention and are going to have to correct their process and their politics to align more with what's, what's being presented to them. Uh, otherwise, they risk not being in power anymore. You know, we are seeing some signs of that, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the Republican Party, uh, as, you know, many Republicans have kind of reached their breaking point with the president in terms of, of his actions and his statements and the things that he does and the things that he says that, you know, even outweigh their political allegiances to the Republican Party. There are many Republicans out there uh, who initially were speaking privately, but are more and more we're starting to see Republicans stand up and, and realize that, you know, the things that you know, this president is doing and the actions he's taking and, you know, distancing himself from our allies and pulling out of the World Health Organization 
and other things that he is doing just don't reflect the overall uh, sense of what America is and, and it's a bridge too far for them. They realize that you know, their constituents are, are concerned and are worried and are upset and angry and that they need to address this from you know, the standpoint of their office and you know there's more and more disagreement with the president and not so much of this lockstep happening now caveat that that this is a small amount right now but it is it is real it is significant you can see it you can hear it and it's growing so in the same token you know there are a lot of of people particularly young people who are taking issue with you know the, the democratic party and in particular a lot of the people who have been in the political forefront in the Democratic Party for a long time uh, and, you know, questioning what they have been doing and what their commitment is to the future of this country rather than just the political expediency that we see right now. So, you know, the, the energy is in there where, you know, a, a concerted and committed effort on the long-term strategy and tactics to build a viable third party in this country seem to be coming together. Now, it remains to be seen if this will stay together. You know, we have seen movements grow in the past that uh, achieved some of their goals and then seemed to, in some sense or another, wither on the vine, as you will. But, you know, it, it looks like, you know, the young people of this country are engaged, are active, are motivated, and are intentional on bringing real and permanent change to the U.S. So, you know, we, we look to that as coming. Uh, I actually, again, am, am one who believes that there should be a viable third party uh, simply for the fact that having, you know, two-party system with, you know, a, a zero-sum approach of one side's got, you know, 50% plus one of the votes, therefore they can control the narrative and or another side that's got, you know, uh, a lesser amount and is subject to the, the whims and wishes of the majority, uh, we would get to a point where there would be a third voice at the table that would carry enough votes in order to, you know, decide things in in the legislation or in the legislature and that would be the bargaining chip that's needed to get the wishes and desires of the overwhelmingly uh, progressive population in this country and you know I say progressive not in the sense that we we talk about conservative and liberal but progressive meaning people who are focused on you know what the actual needs of you know of Joe every man, you know, and, and marry every woman in this country uh, want, you know, that seem to be ignored by the major political parties. You know, we send them to office, they agree, they campaign on what they're going to do for us, and yet when they get into Washington or they get into your local state capitals, we send them to Washington or we send them to our, our state capitals and they promised us what they are going to do in their campaign. And once they get into office and begin to, to feel the influence and power of the lobbyists and, and, and all of that, uh, our wishes get pushed into a secondary status. 
Well, if you had a party that basically controlled the winning votes, so you know, in, in, in the Senate at the federal level, given the current makeup of the Senate, if a viable third party had you know, 10 or 12 votes in the Senate, they would be the, the key, they would be the linchpin to majority decisions and they would actually have the ability to, you, to leverage that voting block for things that more reflect what their constituents want. Um, this is true uh, if you look back through, through uh, history over the last few decades. Uh, a good example of this would be the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, in the, the, the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, the Congressional Black Caucus controlled a block of about 30 to 40 votes in the House of Representatives in Washington. And they were a cohesive voting block that would use that power to bring items to the agenda and to action that reflected the needs of people of color in this country. And they were very effective at doing that. Uh, over the years, the number of members of the, the CBC, you know, increased and decreased and increased. And they're, they're back to a pretty substantial block right now. I believe they're at uh, 35 members overall. Um, but, you know, for example, the number of CBC members that are senators, there's only one. So, you know, yet even though the the group has a, a a block opinion in the Senate only one individual uh, can speak to that in in that chamber and therefore you know the amount of influence that that person has is limited so you know if we had you know six or seven uh, senators in there who were in the CBC for example uh, that voice would be much more powerful in that body. And that, that's the approach that we're going to need to look at as we get into the discussions about creating a third political party in this country. So, you know, just, just some thoughts, and, you know, we will talk more about this in coming shows over the course of this, this year, particularly as we get close to the election, uh, where, you know, the, the 2020 election not only is going to determine, you know, the president, but this is also a, a census year where the number of people in the country and the number of uh, minorities and people of color in this country and, and all of that will be identified numerically and we'll have a better sense going into the next decade as to what our strength of numbers is and how we can leverage that strength uh, politically in Washington and in our local state capitals. So, you know, something to think about. We're going to talk about this, uh, you know, from time to time as we go through this year and beyond. Uh, but, you know, for those of you out there who believe that a third party is needed, you know, this is something that we need to make sure that we are actually putting the pieces in place uh, to make this happen. But again, keep in mind, uh, this is going to take some time. This is going to take a while in order for it to happen. So the dedication and the energy has to be sustained uh, for a long period of time and, and you know, basically talking decades uh, and not years, months or weeks. So switch gears for a little bit here. I want to talk about something that is occurring uh, around the Black Lives Matter movement and some conversations that have been had in mainstream media 
uh, about whether or not uh, Black Lives Matter is in fact becoming a political party. And um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how Black Lives Matter could reshape the 2020 election, for example, and look at that going forward. Um, right now, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has gained a tremendous amount of momentum. Uh, if you have witnessed any of the protests that have been going on over the past several months, out, out actually through this year and, and prior, what you see is that uh, the predominant number of people uh, is not black. It is a coalition of people from all walks of life, from all races, and you know, from all age groups that have come together around the recognition that this, this issue of the, the hurting and killing of people of color and black people and black men in particular uh, at the hands of you know, a, a few uh, renegade police officers and, and misguided police departments in this country um, has created. And you know, what you're seeing is that there are, you know, for lack of a better term, there are a lot of white people marching in Black Lives Matter rallies. And that is a good and encouraging thing. You know, we, we need allies. We need people that are going to, uh, to work with us, to do the heavy lifting, to, to carry the banners, to speak the message. That is what is needed. Look back in history, you know, when Martin Luther King marched in the various marches in the Civil Rights Movement, it wasn't just black people that were marching behind them. There were people from across all racial groups, across all religious groups, uh, that supported the message and supported the need for that change. And they put their, their bodies in place to, uh, to make sure and to, to move that needle forward. Uh, and, you know, there were a significant number of white people that were killed uh, as a result of their participation in the civil rights movement, in addition to the numbers of, of black people and other people of color. So as we look in the Black Lives Matter movement of today, we see a lot of the same elements. We see broad coalitions of groups and broad coalitions of individuals, uh, churches, religions, you know, all are engaged in this good mission of you know getting an end to the the police violence that we see and the the number of people who are hurt or killed you know at the hands again of a few renegade cops and and a few renegade departments uh, this is not an indictment of the police system across the country uh, there's been some heated discussion uh, one of which is this notion where people are calling to defund the police. And I think that there's been some confusion. They are confusing, you know, defunding with disbanding. Now, you know, it is, it is neither practical nor desirable for us to eliminate entirely uh, the concept and action of having a police force in this country. Uh, that just, that won't work. You know, there are still laws that need to be enforced. There are still rules that need to be followed. And the need for a police department to make sure that people are acting within the rules and the law in this country uh, is and, and always will be necessary. 
when people are talking about defunding the police department, what they are actually talking about and what we are seeing happening in several large cities around the country, including LA, uh, Milwaukee, and New York, is a reallocation of some of the monies that go to police departments for various things to other uses within, within the community. You know, whether it's you know, removing dollars from the police department funding and channeling that to you know, victim witness services or you know, after school programs or education programs or other things that work to reduce crime through uh, education and, and providing opportunity to you know, young people and, and people in general so that their only alternative isn't to go into a life of crime, you know, to keep them out of the system, or if they're in the system, to make sure that they are being treated fairly and properly. So, you know, when you hear the terms defund the police, what they are actually meaning, the, where, the, where the rubber would meet the road on that, is actually reallocation of some funds to other purposes or you know, changing the focus of police away from acquiring military-grade equipment, as another example, um, you know, and, and really diverting those monies to a better purpose. Uh, so you know, don't believe the hype. Don't, don't get sucked into the, the dialogue you'll hear you know, of, of people who are saying, you know, they're defunding the police, they're going to eliminate police. That's not what it means. You know, let, let's be real, you know, and again, be smart, be educated, get the information, find out what's going on in your community that where, you know, funds would, could be diverted from some elements of the police departments to more uh, positive and more proactive elements. Um, but to, to get back into and, and kind of wrap up uh, discussing Black Lives Matter, um, it is, you know, a, a movement that is fired up in some states, no pun intended. Um, you know, there is an active voter registration com component. Um, and they've also got on their website, if you go to blacklivesmatter.com, and they've got a goals and focus for 2020. And their campaign goals, and there are three of them that are listed, vigorously engage our communities in the electoral process. You know, and basically, like we've been saying on this show, we need to get out there, we need to exercise our franchise to vote, and Black Lives Matter are doing just that. They are actively working at increasing voter registration and voter participation uh, across this country. Uh, number two, educate our constituents about candidates and the issues that impact us the most. Again, something that we talk about on this show all the time. Dig deeper, dig wider, get your information, be educated and informed. And number three, promote voter registration among Generation Z, the black community and our allies. So, you know, as, as I was just saying a minute ago, you know, the, the key is to have allies, people who are shoulder to shoulder with us, who are doing the work, are helping us get the message out, um, you know, and, and making sure that the, the message of activism translates and converts into the mechanics of activism, that we go from just a strategic discussion to a tactical discussion. So 
some of the things that um, Black Lives Matters, and they have a hashtag, you know, it's hashtag what matters 2020. Uh, some of the things they want to focus on in the in the upcoming election and beyond uh, r- racial injustice, police brutality, criminal justice reform, black immigration, economic injustice, LGBTQIA plus and human rights, uh, environmental conditions, voting rights and suppression, health care, government corruption, education and common sense gun laws. All of the things that have been key activist uh, uh, talking points for the last 10 years in this country are part of what goes into the Black Lives Matter movement. So, you know, as as some pundits and some talking heads in the media are saying, this this is not just a radical group, uh, you know, out to to foment you know dissension and and you know destroy America, a- as they say. Um, this is a socially conscious, uh, politically conscious, people-focused organization, uh, much like many of the organizations that were engaged in the civil rights movements in the 60s, uh, much like the anti-war movement in the 70s uh, and the women's rights um, organizations uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, again, they have a clear purpose. They are intentional. And, you know, we need to make sure that we, we see them, we hear them, we follow them, and we support them, you know, a, in, in any way that we can. Um, so, you know, when you hear talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter in a negative fashion, you know, again, make sure that you have done your, your diligence, that you've gotten the information, that you understand their message, and that, you know, you're ready to have an informed discussion uh, about what Black Lives Matter is and what it stands for. I mean, I've given you a very, very high-level thumbnail view of what what they're about. Uh, there's a lot more information out there, so go online, uh, seek it out, and educate yourself. So, you know, a- as we wrap up the show here, you know, our our calls to action continue. You know, let's make sure we're prepping to get out the vote. Let's make sure we we work to get everybody out to vote as possible and that everybody is properly registered. Don't forget, this is a census year. If you have not already, please take the time, go to the website, 2020census.gov, fill out the census. It It is individual blind, but it is increasingly important as we look at the change we want to make in our country that we have an accurate assessment of where, you know, all of our people are, um, you know, Get engaged with your local candidates, you know, and, and make sure that on on primary day, if you have still have a primary out there or election day, that you are out and ready to vote and, and make your voice heard. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. As always, I appreciate your tuning in. You're listening to Fired Up. This is Steve. I'm your host each week. You're listening right here on WJMSRadio.com. Take care, stay safe, protect yourself while you're out and about as the states reopen, and we will talk again in seven days. If you hear this message, wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation that can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we're already late. 
Started yesterday, and we're already late. 